Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, new college counselor at the Craft Academy for Excellence in Science and Mathematics at Moorhead State University. And I'm here with Joel Ford, school counselor at Connor High School. With us today is Mike Piergowski, our producer, who is here as our mediator to make sure we get along with each other today. So, Chris, that was kind of a mouthful of a new job title after your name. Uh, what's, what's up with you in this new job title? Well, if people have been listening to episodes chronologically, uh, in, the, in the spring, I was counselor at Beechwood, and then I retired, and then I started my consulting business as an independent counselor, and after four months to the day, I was hired as a, as a college counselor at a really unique high school in Kentucky. Uh, there are only 18 of its kind in the country, two in Kentucky, and it's, it's uh, the Craft Academy for Excellence in Science and Mathematics is a place where juniors and seniors go after applying their sophomore year, and they take all college classes. Uh, they, may, they, they take, I mean, we're talking, they'll, they'll finish Calc 3 by the time they graduate. They're taking aerospace classes. Uh, we have kids doing research on legumes and how they, in, in the exo lab, to see how they will uh, survive in space, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I could, I could probably go on for a while, but I am the college counselor now at the Craft Academy. Well, good for you. So, from now on in the next episodes, same job title. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Same job title. Well, congrats. <laughs> yeah, I hope my yeah. probation ends in six months, so, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see if I make it past probation. All right. So, Joel, before we get going to the main part of of today's episode, which would be about independent counselors, uh, just to give you a little preview, what do you have for us to start off this episode? So, I've got a new segment to start us off with today. I bet uh, you do. I do. And I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. Uh, one thing I've discovered in my career is that school counselors listen to a variety of people talk, discuss, rant, complain, and so on. But every once in a while, we need to be able to do that as well. Sometimes like rant. rant, yes. Okay. Um, sometimes something is on our minds that we need to just really be able to get off our chest. So I'm entitling today's segment, Really? <laughs> okay, I can't wait. So here's the deal. We all know the last school year ended completely in a different manner than, than most years. But in some respects, it ended similarly for me. So with my contract, I work a couple of weeks after our teachers are done for the year. And I typically will get six to eight weeks off on the summer for the summer, depending on snow days. Um, and that happened again last year. So in that time that I'm off, I'm able to focus on myself, my family get things done around the house that are you yeah, know, sure. summer projects, things that don't always get to happen during the school year. Uh, it's also a chance for students to get some much needed time off after a long school year. So I'm thinking as we're now halfway through this school year, and I'm thinking about the upcoming summer for next summer. 
Why are colleges going to open their applications for the next school year on July 1st? Really? What possible good is this? Furthermore, why do we celebrate Common App Day on August 1st? Really? (laughs) Students, based on this marketing, think that they have to apply right away because colleges are telling them so, which then leads to letters, etc. in the summertime, less chance for conversations between students and counselors, and so on. Colleges, you are going to build a strong incoming class, and you don't need to start on July 1 to do so. Common App, thousands of kids are going to use your program. Is it crucial to your viability as an organization to start on August 1 and pressure students to finish quickly? I say, let's set a start date when everyone is at least closer to being back to school. Yes, I know that summer is an open time when kids don't have assignments, extracurriculars, and so on. But I think it's a crucial time for them and for the professionals that help them to have their personal time, come back refreshed and recharged, and then have students submit a higher quality application. Let's come together as an admissions community and find a more reasonable date that works for everyone. And if colleges do open up applications on August 1st, quit pressuring them that it needs to be turned in as quickly as possible. My daughter, when I, when I discussed this with her, she did say that she enjoyed starting her application on August 1st, but she did state that she was annoyed by the hundreds of emails telling her to apply and submit. So if you're going to open early, stop the pressuring. Start the 2021 admission cycle with a more reasonable start date. Do you, do you feel better? Man. I've been. Uh, How's that feel? Oh, it, it's it's cathartic. I'm telling you, I, I it it's bugged me for six months since I've thought about this, um, and and I'm I really believe it. I think we the less, especially in Corona world, the less pressure we can put on kids right now, the better. And this to me, it just seems like a simple, simple answer um, to just to just kind of wait. Even if it's just a month, just to wait a little bit uh, before we start the rush of the college admissions season. You know why this is happening worse now, right? Why? You is know that... what I think? Yeah, because 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 of the because of the pandemic because because we've got to get our down. numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they everyone's apps are down during this time and. There's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a panic. But, but, but kids aren't a number. They're kids. Oh, well, we can, we we don't have to get into that. So let's treat them like kids. I agree with you. I'm not arguing. I just, I, uh, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I don't want to lose a bunch of friends, so I'll stop now. All right. (laughs) I may have lost all of mine, so, but I don't care. No, you're fine, man. You're fine. All right, let's say, hey, look, I think you need some water. I think you need a towel. I'll put you in the corner like a boxer, you know. I need, you need your cut man to come out. I, I need a 60-second break. You do. You need a 60-second <laughs> break. Uh, we get back, Joel. Let's, let's, let's talk about this. This, this is probably something that, that the average listener who's not in the business may not really even know a whole lot about. Um, 
So, so people in the business will, will understand a little bit more, but we want to educate everyone and talk about it in terms of everyone. But school counselors and independent educational consultants, um, we'll, talk about, we'll talk about both of those groups of people and the roles they have. We'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Chris, we're talking about the relationship between school counselors and independent counselors. So can you start us off by doing a little defining of terms and maybe a little self-disclosure? Yeah, man. Uh, I've been ready to do this for several years, actually, just thinking about it for a long time and talking about it. So let's, let's start with the players. All right. First, school counselors. They are counselors. They work in schools. Their job duties include, but are not limited to, state testing, scheduling, personal counseling, classroom lessons, career counseling, dual credit programs, special education meetings, building level leadership, talking students off the ledge, talking teachers off the ledge, liaisoning with vocational schools, looking up locker combinations, calling social services, Telling students where to go buy prom tickets, get driver's verification forms, or a hundred other things. And oh yeah, sometimes college counseling. Mm. And all while keeping the biggest, hap, hap, happiest smile you've ever seen across your face. Yep. Nationwide, there are about 111,000 school counselors serving 50.59 million students. Or, if you do the math real quick... Okay. Yeah, an average of one counselor for every 455 K through 12 students nationwide, according to ASCA, the American School Counselor Association, which they get their data from the U.S. Department of Education. Second, independent counselors, more correctly known as independent education consultants. These are college counselors who families hire. Simple as that. Okay. And, and before we go any further into our talk, Joel. Uh, we need to introduce our guests to this episode. All right. Jane Fonash. Jane Fonash is a retired public school counselor, much like me. Also, much like me, she's been doing some independent counseling work. I don't know if she remembers this. And we'll find out. We'll find out later offline, or maybe she'll tell me now. But uh, our paths crossed a long, long time ago when I attended a workshop at American University. Uh, she might have been in the president cycle or the president of, of Potomac and Chesapeake, ACAC at that time. Uh, we reunited as our service on the NACAC board overlapped. Uh, but as I sailed off, as I sailed off into the NACAC sunset, Jane became president of the National Association for College Admission Counseling for 2020. Uh, during perhaps the most difficult and, and critical year of the organization's history, I might add. Uh, so thanks to Joel here. Jane and I are both Kentucky colonels, thus sealing our bond of friendship and loyalty for eternity. <laughs> I'm not even commenting. I, I'm really not. Bucket list item for me, and I'll leave it at that. All right, fine. And now, Jane, much like Angel Perez and Jacques Steinberg recently, your career has now reached a pinnacle. And we welcome you to our as our guest on the Get School podcast. Can it get any better, Jane? 
I don't think it can get any better to be on this podcast with um, three Kentucky residents because Kentucky has really become my second home in recent years. I, I think I've traveled to Kentucky at least six or seven times in the effort of college admissions volunteer work with, with both of you. And I have to tell you, I feel also humbled to be in the same sentence as Angel and, and Jack, who've done amazing things for our profession. But, you know, we have all come to know each other because we love what we do. We value the volunteer work that we do that provides opportunity for students and families. And we're all committed to the fact that this profession, when practiced ethically, can really change student opportunities and change the world. So what a great way to start the day with, with, with you all. Wow. Thank, thank you, Jane. <laughs> wow. I don't know where to, I don't know where to go with that, but I, 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 I love that's, I think that's a really great frame for what we're, what we're about to talk about, which is, it, and it's kind of interesting, but just to go right almost to the end, I think what we would like to come to terms with is a lot of people doing a lot of good work for students. And, and a lot of them work in schools, and some of them don't work in schools. And we just kind of want to talk about how this gets done, how kids figure out where they want to go, why they want to go, even more importantly. And it's, it's happening in a lot of different places. But we know there's been conflict. We know there's been, there's been animosity and conflict between school counselors and independent counselors. I, I don't think... I mean, conversations we had had on the board to try to reduce some of that conflict, uh, but there's a lot of history, and I think it's a difficult, a difficult discussion in some ways. Uh, do you don't Jane? Do you mind if I tell you where, where my where my mind and, and heart was in the in the beginning of this story? I think it would be really interesting for us to compare notes about what the beginning of this adventure was like for both of us because we came came from very similar backgrounds in terms of being public school counselors. And on top of that, we, I came from, and you are now in a, a magnet school setting, which adds a whole nother level to, to college counseling. So, right. yeah, I, I think that's a great place to start. I, and, and there's some vulnerability, I suppose, that I, that I can share, um, upon reflection when I, when I look back, but, and it's funny because Joel's part of this story, which is when we worked together at Connor high school, I don't know, maybe it was 10 years ago, something like that. Um, how long have you been at Connor, Joel? This is my 15th year. Oh, wow. So, so okay. more so like maybe, 15 years more, ago, more, more like 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, there's a local independent counselor who Joel knew and said, Hey, should we bring him in to talk to our students or talk to our families? And my answer was, oh, no, uh-uh. no, 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 no. We don't bring those people in. These, these, and, and I, uh, this is my job. I do this. I'm responsible for this stuff. I don't want, if, in my brain, I think if I thought someone else was coming in to do something like college work that I should be doing, that it was really, stepping on my toes isn't deep enough. It was almost admitting that I was unable to do that job. And I just saw, I saw them, I saw independent counselors as, as kind of the enemy. Like if any family 
hired an independent person and didn't just come to me as a school counselor, that was just this, this horrible slap in my face. I mean, talk about taking things personally. I took them and Joel, he's watched it happen. He's, he, he got to see it live. Like he got to see my face live as what I look like when I take something personal. And it was, it, it was, it was all ultimately like this very personal attack on me to even consider, even like whisper it. And well, well you know, and that was the problem, I think. And to add with that, and we've talked online. I'm not even sure because because I've I've told him I I occasionally have those same kind of initial reactions. I'm not sure even where that comes from. You know, is is it a control thing? Is it an ego thing? Is it right. is it a fear of failure thing? Uh, you know, I don't know where the source of that is, but I, I'm I'm convinced listening to that story because you're right. I was there for a lot yeah. of it. Uh, that that's not an uncommon initial reaction for a lot of people. Yeah, I, think, I think, sorry, I'm sorry, Jane, you go. I'm sorry. I, I think often, I think public school counselors, um, to do that and to do it well, you just have to be immersed in your work. And we all do, we all do that or did that at one point in our lives because we really wanted to make a contribution to the common good of the world. And we wanted to help students have the best future opportunities that they could. And, and I, I think we, we carry that responsibility on our shoulders and in our hearts and are just wounded when there's what feels like a suggestion that we can't do it all by ourselves. And yet we turn around to our students who are feeling overwhelmed, whether it's by their college applications or taking too many accelerated courses and say to them, you can't do everything, you need to ask for help. But I, I think as, as a high school counselor, there were lots of times that I was conflicted by the fact that somebody else wanted to help support my families. And yet that's where I find myself now on the other side of, of, of that fence, not fence, the other side of that role. Yeah. So, so that may lead into to this as sort of a good initial question then. Why would a student, why would a family consider working with an independent counselor? Wait, can we back up real quick? Okay. Because I'm curious about Jane's initial story. Oh, yeah. Let's do that first. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in that. Yeah. So in, in many ways, Chris and Joel, it's, it's a very different story than the one that you told. Um, there is a, a woman who has been a, a, just a, a fixture and a leader in school and college counseling in Virginia for many years. And I, I hope she won't mind if I mention her by name. Her name is Shirley Bloomquist. And she worked in a public school setting. She was actually the director of student services at Thomas Jefferson High School, which is a, a STEM school in Virginia. And when I became the counseling director in Loudoun County STEM school, I reached out to her. She invited me to lunch at her home and we spent hours talking about the things that she had done to build a, a school counseling program for students with this STEM focus. 
she and I continued in, in those roles for a long time, but she became an independent counselor probably about 20 years ago. And I know that her work is not only in supporting students, but supporting several of the communities around here, especially a community with a, a significant number of underserved students and probably an equal, if not uh, a majority amount of her time is spent in those efforts. But I, the name of her private consulting practice was a second opinion. And when we talked about it, she always made it clear that she was there to support the student and the family and in no way undermine or question the work of the high school counselor because she had been in that role for many, many years. So my first exposure to all of this was with someone who was branching out into independent work for lots of good, strong ethical reasons. So it was a great model for me to, to aspire to. That's yeah. a much different beginning. Uh, the end of mine turns out that I actually did all that before meeting the person. And, you know, he's a pretty good guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty good guy and, and works and works ethically, which is a comment you had made in the very beginning, Jane, um, which I think is a, is, a, is a really big, really big point to, to some of the contention is, is you know, how people are working ethically when, when you don't have to have a certification to, to be an independent counselor. And that may get to one of the issues that, that school counselors sometimes have uh, is that there are stereotypes that kind of go, go along with, uh, with, with this role. Uh, Joel, back to your question then. All right. Take two. Why would a student and a family consider working with an independent counselor? Like under what, under what circumstances and why would they choose to hire one? Right. Yeah. What do you think, Jane? Most of the, the families that have reached out to me are looking for some additional support. I mean, I live in Loudoun County, Virginia, and it was the Loudoun school system that, that I worked for for 24 years. And it's while it's a well-resourced school system, there are a range of students and families who live here, everything from parts of the district where there are significant numbers of immigrant first-generation families to families that are well-established old Virginia families. But I, I think most of the families are looking for some additional time and some extra support in making good decisions about where students are going to apply and then how they tell their stories through their essays and responses to the ever-increasing number of prompts that seem to be in, in applications. And I, you know, in, in the work that I do, I, I always try to make it, well, I do make it clear when I start out with families that I don't rewrite essays, I don't do applications, I don't call admission offices to put in a good word for them. I'm, I'm a support. I'm a consultant. I'm someone that they can bounce ideas off of and then make the decisions that are going to be best for the student and for the student's family. So I, I sometimes wonder if the way I frame this has sort of 
impacted the kinds of families who reached out to me in my first few years of, of doing this. Mm-hmm. Probably. What, I, Chris, what about you? I, so I'm not a business person by nature. And I struggled mightily with charging people money for something I had a salary to do before. Um, and, and with some help from people I knew uh, doing different consulting type things, um, I began to come to terms with that and, and be okay with that. Uh, at the same time, then I'm not a marketer either. And, and trying to figure out the elevator speech, I guess, or that, or, or why, why, for me to explain to a family who contacts me what the benefit would be of working, working with me, uh, I thought the argument would be a little bit more on the financial side. Like, look, you know, you spend X amount of money working with me, and my hope is that I help you put your best foot forward and your applications are a little stronger and your scholarship searches are a little better and a little stronger, and I ultimately help save money. Nobody really cares as much about that as greater ease in the process and more peace of mind. So what I have found is that people people want to know they did their best. They want to know that they, let, they didn't leave any stones unturned, and they just want to know that, that a professional is guiding them through. Uh, and, and almost in a sense of not preventing conflict in the house, but I'm the middle guy. And where this process is really stressful, families experience stress in a lot of different ways. And if I can be somebody who talks to a parent about something a kid is trying to say or talks to a student about something a parent is trying to say and be the go-between, just that, uh, again, making life a little easier for the family is is what I've seen people wanting. I, I see that also. I I can think of, of families that I've, I've worked with, and I, I think parents – also, I think parents appreciate another voice in the conversation and trust that I'm going to make suggestions about opportunities or ways to tell a story that are things that are in their students' best interest. And I think students appreciate having another adult who I hope they come to trust just to bounce ideas off of as, as they are, are making decisions. I, I, I'm with you, Chris. I am not a business person, and I, I do struggle mightily with the financial side of it. Um, but you and I, I'm sure, are among the independent counselors who, who set a fee that's going to be manageable, for a lot of families, and I also suspect that you, like I, have have fiddled with that and reduced it, or in some cases eliminated it in order to be sure that a student who needed some services was was able to receive them. And yeah, in my mind, that's that's good ethical practice and it's good business practice. I think so. One of my favorite kids is someone who went to a workshop I did, and. Uh... The school system made it free for her, and after that, she she's um, one of my favorite kids to work with. And I just told her I just liked her. I, I don't want you to send like your your parents aren't paying me anything, but I still want you to keep reaching out. 
it was one of those things where after the workshop, she goes, well, you know, would you have time to read my, read my one essay I wrote? And I just kept saying, yeah, sure, man, keep coming, keep coming back. Um, and I hope that most counselors operate that way, it, you know, with an, like an attorney language, just doing pro bono work. Um, and, and I think most independent counselors do that. I think they adjust rates. I think they eliminate rates. Um, I think one of the stereotypes kind of leading maybe into some of that, not that I want to sit here and make lists of stereotypes. That's not helpful in a lot of ways. But one of the stereotypes is that they all, all the independent counselors just get rich off people's anxieties and, and get rich off people's worry about college. Um, and, a, and a lot of people aren't getting rich. You know, they're, they're, they're charging fair rates and they're providing great services. But I, I know that that's, this is probably one of the things people, counsel, uh, high school counselors might, might, might think about independence. I think that's one thing. I think another stereotype is, is one of privilege that only, and it, in some ways it's a spinoff of the financial piece, but only someone with the financial means would be able to access this type of, of service. And I, I am sure that they're independent consultants that every family would not have access to because of the way they structure their business and, and the fees that, that they establish. Um, but as you said, most of the independents who I know do a number of things in their practice to make themselves available to a range of students. And they'll, they'll continue to do that. Not all of us, but, but many of us will continue to do that. The news, the news hasn't been favorable. You know, a little under two years ago, you've got the college admission scandal, which kind of does not does not help the case or the cause or the argument for independent counselors. Uh, and then you've got just a few people in, in the country who, I mean, there's this one. I don't care. I forget her name anyway, but I don't I don't care to call this out because it's pretty ridiculous to have an application camp that costs sixteen thousand dollars. And, you know, there's an application camp in Boston where it costs $16,000 to go. And that's, it's just obnoxious. It fills up too. I mean, there's money out there. People, people pay that. Um, and then if you use the word college application boot camp, you get sued for it or a nasty gram or a letter or something like that. Um, you know, mine's a hundred bucks. And if a kid you know, like, can't pay, I don't care. <laughs> like it's just whatever. Um, so those types, those types of things get out in the common language and, and they get out there, but majority of people are not like that. You know, Chris, I, one of the, the ways that I think about it to try to come up with a balance, I, the, the best principal that I ever worked for was George Wolfe, who was the principal at the Science Academy where I worked for 13 years. And one of the things he would remind us of once in a while is he would say, you're not a missionary, you're, you're an educator, you're a counselor, and there is value to what you do. Just be reasonable and thoughtful about how you establish that value. Um, I'm not worth $16,000 for a week of college application camp. I would never think of myself that way, but if this is how I'm going to practice my profession, 
and earn part of my living, there has to be a way to do that, but still make it available to as many kids as possible. And when I think about it that way, I know I can sleep at night. I, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, I work my tail off to make sure I'm worth a hundred bucks. You know, like, like, like I want to, you know, even when camp is over, they haven't paid for more than that. But if someone says, Hey, can I read an essay later? I mean, yeah, of course I'm going to read that later. I, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I'm sitting here on the side kind of listening to, to some of this and it seems like there, there really is kind of a wide variety of, of people in maybe in the independent counselor realm. Um, who, who do we know where, where independent counselors come from? Uh, do we know their backgrounds? Uh, are there, are there, are there things that, that are common to all independent counselors? Um, I'm just curious what, where, where independent counselors come from. There's one more stereotype that probably should be mentioned that doesn't, that doesn't help. And it's whether it's fair, whether the stereotype is fair or not, it's, it's the, I I think there are fewer and fewer of these Joel, but what consider a parent who helped their kid through the application process. And then the kid has had some success. Kid got into a couple schools that were, you know, more selective or whatnot. And the parents like, Hey man, I, I can do this. I really, I really understand this process. And then, and then the parent hangs out a shingle and says, I'm going to help other families do this. Um, and it doesn't mean they wouldn't be good at it. I'm sure everyone's different, but I think there's this, this stereotype that, okay, I do this. I have, I have a, a master's degree and a certification and I'm a school counselor. And this person is going to do, have this business where they hang out a shingle because they did it one time successfully. Right. That's one of the stereotypes I've I've heard, just kind of out and about in the last several years. So so, back, so to answer your question, I'll, I'll let Jane give a shot. Right. Answer, I mean, I, I don't know if are there are there statistics out there that show the backgrounds of independent counselors, or do we know anything about that? So I, I suspect that. Several of the professional associations um, whose focus is independent consultants probably do have that data. And I, um, I, I, I didn't have the opportunity to look for some of that before we had this conversation. But, you know, two of the organizations I can think of are, are HECA and IECA, both of which have been around for a long, long time and our, our professional organizations for people who practice as independent consultants. And in the case of IECA, it's, it's, it's not just college admission consultants, but, but other aspects of, of, of educational admission and opportunity. Um, so I, I, when I, I don't know as many people who fit the description that, that you just went through, Chris, about having success as a family and going on and and doing this. But I, I do know that there are pathways, a number of different pathways for people to become independent consultants. You and I have done it, you know, based on the foundation of being longstanding public school counselors and then looking for a different way to continue our professional work. I've, I've known people who have been in other professions 
and become more aware of what it's like to try to get the opportunity to go to college and want to become involved in this. And they join organizations like HECA or IECA in order to get the professional training, the ethical foundation, the, the, the skill sets and the tools that they need to be effective with families. And they continue that professional membership and professional development as long as they are, are practicing privately. And many, many, many of those people are well-respected and, and very good at what they do. And if, if they're like you and I, Chris, they continue to be members of NACAC along with the two independent yes. counseling associations and with all of those organizations having ethical guidelines and professional development opportunities. I think those are the, those are the people who are the, they're, they're the good guys. They Correct. take what they do seriously. They approach this in a collegial kind of way um, it, it's a pretty big tent when you think about what kids need to be able to grow up and plan for their future. I, we were talking about some of that before the call, and I would like to think that we could work together because we all can have some different roles in helping these students. Yeah, I will tell you this. I will tell you this, Joel. Um, so to be a member of HECA, which is the Higher Education Consultants Association, you you can't just join. You have to go through a whole. You have to get letters of recommendation from professionals. You have to you have to commit to visiting uh, maybe forty colleges over a period of five years. You 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 have to go through all kinds of parameters. Um, I don't I don't qualify. Actually, I tried to join HECA and IECA, and even is being a NACAC member and a a board a board member on NACAC, um, I haven't been on enough campuses and I can't because I've spent all my time in the last five years, all my time either with NACAC stuff or in my schools. Mm -hmm. So all of my free days, I didn't, I didn't get any free days. I didn't go visit colleges. Um, so I, I, I'm not eligible for, um, for membership in these, in these school, in these organizations right now, but it's rigorous. Like you can't just, you can't just join, uh, just as I mentioned, um, IECA and HECA are the two primary organizations that, that student, that independent people wouldn't be involved. So if, so if I'm a family and I'm looking to hire someone and I'm looking to dispel that shingle myth that you just mentioned, I can be, I can be confident that if I find someone who is a member of one or both organizations that they are in, in all likelihood, ethical, following ethical standards, yep. doing yep. what's right for students and families. You check the HECA website, the IECA. There's one more thing that I did do because I have been on enough campuses uh, in recent years to um, work on my certified educational planner certificate. Uh, so, so Dr. Stephen Antonoff, uh, schoolbuff.com uh, is a well-known practitioner like really he's he's a really awesome guy actually um when i first started doing this i didn't know what a big deal he was and now i kind of realize it but um you know i i did i, did, I, I took this test that was four hours long and i had to write all these scenarios to 
what happens if a kid's like this? What's the, you know, what, how would you, how would you advise that kid? What are, what are five schools you would recommend? Uh, he's big on the school list being a really important thing, right. but, but I had to go through a pretty rigorous testing to get the certified educational planner. So if you see that, HECA membership or IECA membership, and hopefully NACAC membership, I think you're you're talking you're looking at someone working under ethical practices. Right. There are also people who, you know, aspire to do independent work who who begin through several courses or or sequence of courses that are out there and and available. The the interesting thing is. You know, for for Chris and Joel and I, for the three of us, when we ended up getting a master's degree in school counseling, there was probably no course in college advising, or if there was, there was only one. And there certainly are a number of people who are pushing for that kind of instruction to be included in school counseling degrees. That could be a whole nother podcast for, for you all. But there are several schools that do that. Um, the, UC, the UC Berkeley Extension has a course that's taught by Katie Murphy and Peggy Hawk, two great members of our profession. I believe there's also another one through UCLA that Esther Hugo may be involved in. But okay. there are people who are longstanding pillars of, of public and private school counseling who are out there providing the education and the foundation for more people to do this work in an ethical informed manner. So there, there are, there are lots of opportunities. And as, as you both mentioned, you could go to the HECA or the IECA website and search for someone. If you were looking for some more help for your family, you could search their website and feel with some assurance that you were contacting someone that you could trust to work with your child. You know, there's one other person who had an interesting background, Joel, and he's been on the podcast. Um, Ethan Sawyer was majored in vocal performance, uh, vocal, like it's like a vocal acting type thing at mm -hmm. Northwestern University. And that turned into more of a storytelling and that's his approach to teaching essays. Right. And, and, you know, he is now the college essay guy who's written two books and I consider him one of the good guys, if not the goodest guy. And he is, uh, he's, 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 he does a lot of great things. Um, I'm sure he is college essay guy is no longer a guy. Like it's a business. His brother, Devin is the president of college essay right. guy. And they, uh, but that's a whole different direction that where, where, you're, where anyone can end up, whatever their background, uh, doing something like this, if, if they've really got a passion for it. Chris, you also mentioned Stephen Antonoff a couple of minutes ago, and he has, in addition to other work he's done, he's actually written a book about the fundamentals of independent counseling. I think it's called A Student of Colleges. And, you know, I mention it because there, there's not, there's not a lot written about this new aspect of, of our profession. And it's great that people who are leaders, ethical leaders in the field, are trying to provide material that will guide people beginning to work in this new as, newer aspect of our profession. Yeah, he's written College Match, a blueprint for choosing the best school for you. And it's chock full 
of, of like worksheets and practical methods of helping students find, find the best match. Um, he's again, super passionate on finding a good match and finding uh, a great, I, I'm a firm believer too, that a great college list is where it, where it all begins. And he specializes in that area. He's also written uh, a student of colleges, fundamentals of independent educational consulting. So he's, like I said, when I first met him on uh, just calling, I didn't realize what a big deal he was until, until I started looking into him a little bit more. He's also written the college finder. That was a long time ago, but yeah, he's, he's done a few books. I'm, I'm kind of curious as we, as we get toward the end of our conversation today, how do we, maybe we's not the right term. How, how can communication between school counselors and independent counselors be improved? Um, because sometimes I've, you know, there may be a perception that they're working independently of each other, but the, the, the commonality at its core is the student and the family. Well, maybe, Joe, maybe Jane and I can give you, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to do, go too much into this, I suppose, but there are, there are issues that the independent counselors kind of have. Uh, one was what they were being charged by NACAC. Um, they saw that the, the higher charge for membership was seen as you don't value us like you do school counselors. School counselors like, yeah, right, we don't. <laughs> and, and NACAC has finally said, you know what, lots of people are doing lots of good work for kids. And I think one of the final, the final year I was on the board, uh, we were planning the new membership model. We, we kind of finally got to it. And... Um, and Jane was part of implementing that, but we, NACAC now charges the same price, but there was a value attached to that. Also at, this is all like internal stuff, but at the NACAC conferences, independent counselors were just treated differently. Maybe not invited to the same social events that school counselors are invited to. Given, uh, Jane, was their badge black? Were independent badges black at NACAC? Like everyone's got a different colored badge when they go to the NACAC conference. A I'm thinking band. maybe it was yellow, but it, but it was a different maybe color. A different color badge. It was a different color. And it was just like all of this not being on the same team kind of kind of feeling. So there was there's 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 a whole lot of feeling, um, negative feeling between between groups I you know when I was growing up my my, my father always said he thought I I would pursue a, a career at the State Department in in diplomacy and I used to tell him that I felt like I did that every day because there were so many times when I needed to tread carefully on, on an issue but you know there there are times when uh, uh, the high school counselor and the independent consultant may have a disagreement on um, what the college list looks like for a student. And there could be many reasons that the, the two professionals see it differently. Um, and I, I think that that's still one of the tough subjects to, to grapple with. Um, and, and maybe one of the things that's at the heart of some of the difficulties that still exist between 
public school counselors and, and independents. I, I still go back to the fact that as a public school counselor, you have so much on your plate. And yet every counselor right. I know was trying to get all of those things done to the best of their ability and in the best interest of the students. So, and it wasn't just in college counseling where there'd be some sensitivity about it, but that's, that's the one we're talking about. So um, I think some of it is going to improve simply one relationship at a time, building trust with, with both people underneath this tent but I think some of it comes from the bigger picture, like you're talking about, Chris, by the way that the NACAC makes sure that independent counselors are are part of the family. I actually last January, so about ten months ago, I I was at a, a meeting at uh, the IECA headquarters down in Fairfax um, with with their CEO Mark with. Terry Knaus, who's the executive director of HECA, with the presidents of, of those organizations, beginning to brainstorm about what the three organizations could do to bring us all together and have better working relationships. And then the pandemic happened. So some of that work continued and some of it was put to the side because of other kinds of issues. But I hope it's something that will continue because the more we model and provide the opportunity for us to work together, I'm hoping the more collegiality there will be among us. Right. Do you think there's a different approach or issues with different approaches that independent counselors take that high school counselors do or don't take as far as in terms of advising kids? I, having been a, a public high school counselor, I, I think one of the challenges is being able to get out of the building to visit schools and to carve out time to build relationships with admissions people on a number of different campuses. Right. And again, okay. you're doing it to build knowledge and, and information. And that's a difficult thing to do when you have that long list of other duties as assigned by the principal. And if you're working as an independent counselor, you have control over having the time to travel to campuses when travel is allowed or being on Zoom calls or doing that footwork to be sure that you have more information about the schools to which you're referring your kids. That's a bigger challenge for public school counselors. Right. And so yeah, there, there are two sure. questions there is one, how do we make that easier for public school counselors to access? And then two, how can the high school counselor and the consultant have a collegial relationship with e with each other? Right. In terms, I, of, in terms of like, yeah, I never could get out of the building to go to colleges for the most part. There's just, there's just no way. And I know Joel can't, I mean, I'm trying yeah. to do this, you know, this other series of, of uh, college visit podcasts within Get Schooled, and we have to do some things remotely, and he can't even go with me to, to get down to a school an hour away because of how many duties he's got. And, and yet, I have no doubt, Joel, that 
you find the time to do this and your kids are well served in in this process and i right. i would hope that you know an independent person coming into work with one of your kids is going to be respectful of that expertise and that effort that you put into every student and their family well if anybody i mean i'm maybe a little biased if anyone in northern kentucky does a does a great job uh with with the college counseling it's joel and the college reps will tell you that too. They know. They know they go to Connor. They're going to get a good visit. And and I don't like being nice to his face always, but I will right now. That that, <laughs> that they that they're gonna that they they know they know they know that Connor has good college counseling. I I wonder too. I'm just sitting here thinking about it. And thanks for the the kind words. But you know, if you're an independent counselor, I wonder if you can be a little more frank a little more direct with your students than sometimes a school counselor can, um, you know, because if you're an independent counselor, they're, they're paying you for your expertise. And if they don't like your expertise, then they can move on and, and go to somebody else, but your school counselor, that's a four year relationship. And so I wonder if, not that the information we give is going to be different, but like we asked before, the approach, how you how you provide that is going a to, different approach. It's going to be much different. My my students have my cell number. Not my not my school students, but my private students, they have my cell number. I tell them, you know, within reason, this is a different relationship than your school counselor. I have that talk in my very first meeting with them. I'm like, I you have, here's my cell number, here's my email. You, you have you have a quick question? Text me. I'll get I'll get back to you. Like I it doesn't not there's no thing for me, you know. You sitting there watching TV at night or whatever to reply to a quick text if a kid has a question on Common App. Uh, so in that sense, I mean it's kind of nice where you do have quicker access and more more personal access. You don't have to wait till Monday morning to get an answer, um, and it's it's a, it's a different relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a little bit of, of a tangent because we, we've spoken a lot about public school counselors, but you know, there, there is a thought I wanted to share about you know friends and colleagues of mine who work in independent schools, private schools, and they are college counselors. It's a different model, as, as you know. There are personal and emotional counselors who work in those buildings, but the, there are people whose sole responsibility is to prepare kids and and go through the college admission process with them. And they have many more hours in the day to do that than, than public school counselors do for the most part. But, but I hear them tell stories about what they hear from their heads of school. And the message goes along the lines of, I don't want to hear from a parent that they feel like they need to hire an independent consultant. They're paying tuition to come to our school and I expect you to meet every one of their needs in this process. It's um, a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of pressure. And something over which you don't have a lot of control. <laughs> over which you have very little, if if any, control. So I, while I think that's a very different situation than public school counselors, it's it's still a burden on them also. It is. It is. Yeah. And 
I, it, it would be nice if people had, if the, like if I had a good relationship, and I think I do in this area since I was a public school counselor for so long, if I had a good relationship with the counselors at the high schools, I think I could could support them. You know, I'd like to with with I'd like to talk about how that how we can work together. Like how can how can in your situation you just mentioned, how can an independent counselor kind of help out the the, the that counselor? Um, so how how do how do we how do we do that? How do we come together in the same same place? Kind of hard when they can't leave the building. <laughs> but how do you? You know, I mean, is it just a one one to one slow build? Is it grassroots type thing where you just have to slowly build relationships? Well, the the, the grassroots process hopefully enables us, you know, one counselor at a time to build a reputation for being honest and ethical and appropriate in everything that we're doing. I, I know if, if, if I, if I'm working with a, a student and a family and they criticize the way the high school counselor is doing something, I, I tread very carefully. I, sometimes the criticism is, you know, often left field someplace and sometimes it's appropriate. You know, I'm more likely to say to them, well, you may want to ask them about this particular issue. Ask them how they would handle that, just sort of suggesting to them how to manage it. I, so I, I guess the first thing is it's not my role. It's not my role to, to tell my public school colleagues how to do their job. Um, so by not doing that, I hope I'm building some goodwill Right. Um, I know that Danny Easley in Kentucky Country Day, one of our former guests here and a good friend of ours, he he'll say, I don't I don't there. It's fine if they hire somebody. I just want to know. <laughs> I just want to know they have somebody. So one thing you can do as a, as a independent counselor is encourage your student to go to their school counselor, mm-hmm. let them know who you've hired. Um, I, I personally, I would be willing to talk to any school counselor, but I wouldn't want to initiate it. I would just want to encourage the students to tell them if that counselor mm-hmm. did want to contact me in some way. Uh, but I would not ever be the one to reach out and, and, con- and you, contact. You, you don't think, uh, you don't think an independent counselor could call a school counselor and say, Hey, I just wanted to, to see, is there any way I can support you and, and what, what you're doing for. Johnny. I think that the student should do it. I think the student should, should tell, I, I mean, perhaps an email. I, I'm just too cognizant, I think on how busy the school counselors are. I mean, if you if you tell me that would be fine, then maybe I'm wrong. Uh, you know, would you, do you want that call? I, yeah. I mean, if it's approached in that manner, that, Hey, I'm Johnny's family hired me. I don't want to step on your toes, but I just, I just wanted want you to know that that I'm working with them. Is there anything that you need from me, or anything I can do, to, or we can do together to support Johnny? Yeah, I mean, I I, I I think that's part of the part of the what I was asking about before is like you've got two people working almost independently of each other. Um, 
I, why I, am I afraid to call? What's that? Why am I afraid to call? I don't know, but I've got more time to answer the phone call than I do to to dial the numbers myself. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that I think it has to be approached in a collaborative way. Exactly. I don't know. I've never. I haven't done that. I haven't done that with any. I mean, I have a couple. I have a couple counselors I'm like really good friends with, and I'll tell you know I'll tell Jessica at CuffCath like, hey, you know, here's here's a couple of the people I'm working with. Well, um, if if you end up with one of my kids, feel free to give me a call. <laughs> Thanks, Joel. <laughs> Jane, have you ever done that? I have not done that yet. Um, I've I've been struggling with the way to do it, and again, you know, some some of the students I've worked with. I know their counselors well. Some of the students I'm working with now have counselors who are brand new to the profession, brand new to the school district. And I'm, I'm just not, I've, I've been struggling with how to do this. Um, would someone who's a brand new public school counselor have the experience or the support from their supervisor to understand the the genuine nature of why I would be reaching out to them. So I, I, I'm still struggling with how to do that. But, but one of the reasons why I think it's important, Joel, is I know that in working with a, a student as an independent, I haven't known this student for four years or three years like the counselor has. And, you know, I'm hoping that the student and the family are being honest in what they share with me about the student's strengths and weaknesses and background and, and what they aspire to, to be doing. But I'm sure there are always stories and pieces of history about this student that would be helpful to know as I'm guiding this student to put together a list and begin writing essays. And that's a conversation that I would love to have with a counselor if the counselor would make the time to do that and, and wouldn't see that as a threat to the important role that they play in the student's life. I, I mean, it just, it, it just, it just feels like such a, a tough area to still to, to tackle. Well, and I want, if, if I think if we're talking in terms of collaboration and, and in terms of assisting each other, and in terms, always in terms of the student, I would like to think that as professionals, we can we can we can work together. Um, and maybe maybe that's just what it takes is somebody just reaching out and trying to get past some of the previous mindset, maybe of an us versus them kind of world. Right. Yeah, that, I mean that would be that'd be fantastic. Uh, I guess it's worth the risk of like maybe uh, bothering somebody for two seconds. Like I'm afraid to bother someone for two seconds, but what if that's, what if that's not that big a deal? And what if the conversation is, is, is better than that? Right. And then building on that, what out of all of that can we share with our other colleagues? I, I mean, this sounds to me like it, it could be a great session for Kentucky ACAC or Potomac and Chesapeake or, or even at NACAC, how, how groups of school counselors and independent consultants have found some ways to, to cross these bridges and work together. 
Yeah. We will, we'll, we will, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. That's uh, Joel, cool. I, wanna, I have to let you know something. Okay. Uh, all of your seniors have been texting me. Just, just kidding. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, they, I, I only have one and that's because she goes to craft. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, let's take it. Let's take a break. Uh, we have some final from some final uh, lenses to look through and then we'll be right back with get schooled by Reeves and Ford. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reason 4. Uh, this has been a good conversation today, uh, but like we always do with every episode, we want to look at this topic through four different perspectives, four different lenses. Uh, so Chris, get us started. Well, due to the research in this episode, we're going to be more inclusive and broaden this lens. I usually say, if you're a school counselor, this is the lens. But this time, if you are an independent or a school counselor, please put your pride aside. If you're an independent counselor, understand that you have more freedoms as a small business owner, and you are not pulled in 100 directions. You have control of your caseload, and they don't. If you're a school counselor, know that owning a business has its challenges too. 30% of your income goes to income and self-employment taxes, and many carry their own insurance and maintain their own retirement plan. Um, IECs can save you time and energy by taking a little load off as long as you don't see it as a personal attack like I used to. Uh, we all believe in higher education, so let's live in that space together. If you're at a university... Be willing to speak with both school counselors and independent counselors. Heck, even invite them to campus. Both are working for the good of your potential incoming student. Also, share information with both school and independent counselors. They both need to be aware of information about their student. To not do so builds that competition and level of distrust that doesn't need to be there. If you're a parent... Be aware that your school counselor probably has a huge caseload and give them plenty of time to accomplish tasks. If you hire an IEC, let the school counselor know who you've hired. In addition, do not expect the IEC to write essays or complete the application. Their purpose, like school counselors, is to guide and support the student as they complete the application. Uh, they are not and should not be hired guns to secure admissions to highly selective schools. That's not what IECs are. And finally, and most importantly, if you are a student, if you feel as though you aren't getting the help you need from your school's counseling office, then think about using an independent counselor that can devote more time to you in your college admissions process. That having been said, however, do try to keep your school counselor in the loop as well, as college representatives may call them the school counselor uh, for more information about you. It helps the school counselor not be caught off guard if you've communicated with them throughout the process. Just remember, as we say all the time, be a smart consumer. And that includes getting help with the admissions process. So that's our four lenses for this week. Um, Chris, 
Let's end our episode as we always do with a final word of wisdom. What do you have for us this week? Oh, hey, I'm just psyched up, man. Uh, ready. This episode's word of wisdom is for, just for the counselors. Usually it's for everybody. This time it's just for the counselors. And, and on top of that, it's not a word. It's, it's a theory. Um, this episode's theory of wisdom is something I've, I've always had to tell myself. You can, it's something I've taught in my classes. Um, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but I'll say this, this line. You can never really be a good counselor. I know it sounds depressing, hmm. right? Hear me out. Hear me out. Uh, I'll give you some peace of mind. It'll give you some peace of mind when you're in the middle of it. Um, so the better you are, the more business you get. The more business you get, the more helpful you are. The more the kids like you, the more administrators need you, the more you can't keep up. Uh, you can never really be great at any of it. So when you get home and you think you didn't do a good job, you're wrong. You feel that way because you did do a good job. Hmm. I'm going to have to sit at my desk at school tomorrow and think about that one. But, right. but you're right. And I've heard you talk about that before. Um, so that is something to, to think about. And if you are a school counselor out there um, or an independent counselor, know that if you're doing what's best for kids, Chris is right. You're probably doing a good job. So, so remember, you can always listen to Get Schooled on Apple Podcasts. SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and now Amazon. You can follow us on Twitter at, at GetSchooled3 and on the internet at AskMrReeves.com slash GetSchooled. Chris, what's the next episode? Because I know you are fired up. We're going to lose friends over this one. <laughs> We're going to lose friends over this one. No! Uh, yeah, we, we probably will. And we may have, we don't have explicit lyrics, you know, on this, on this podcast, but we may have to take that label and slap it on this next one. Uh, uh, we're going to tackle early decision. What, what, what do we yeah. want to accomplish? What it is? I deconstruct perhaps. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I want to find out. I want to find out if, if it's as, if it's as bad as I think it is, because okay. I think it's terrible. I okay. can't stand it. I hate early decision. Tell us how you really feel. I, 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 I can't use bad language right now. All right. Cause we didn't have the explicit lyrics warning at right. the beginning of this episode. So exactly. early decision next episode. Uh, thanks for being with us today. A big thank you to Jane Fonash. Like we always say, the people on our podcast, much more informative than Chris and I are. Um, right. So we definitely appreciate her being on um, and we'll see you next time. episode but we may we may we may have to take that off for the next episode oh yeah just open both pages up man uh minor staple and well front to back well i'll work on my printing skills for next
Thank you.